Hey Siri, remind me to pick up mom's present tomorrow. Hey Siri, remind me about family game night on Friday afternoon. Hey Siri, remind me about the parent-teacher conference tomorrow. Hey Siri, remind me to call grandma today. Hey Siri, remind me to schedule the kids' dentist appointments. Hey Siri. 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 Look, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited about sharing with you about the family and about raising kids and how to be a parent. And I guess I could preface it by saying I'm not sure if there's anybody who knows exactly how to be the perfect parent. And we're not looking for perfection, but we're looking for effectiveness. And as we share about the family and, and things of that nature, we just want to let you know that um, the family is a team. Whether we like it or not, it's, it's a team. And a team executes the plan the best when every person on the team is healthy and knows their part. And we're experiencing that in the NFL now. I've never seen so many first-string quarterbacks injured in a year as long as I've been watching football. And, but, but one thing I have noticed is that when that man is injured, the rest of the team sort of comes to the rescue. So, you know, I don't know about your family and where it stands right now, but I can tell you this, that we need to go ahead and lock things together and go ahead and work hard to make sure that everybody stays healthy on the team and that we're able to accomplish what I believe the Word of God is going to share with us today. And really, it's, it's talking about obedience and honor and discipleship. And we're only going to go through four verses today, and uh, we're going to try to make our way through that, uh, even though we're not perfect. And, and in this room right now, I guarantee you that there are all sorts of different families that look different. Uh, they're, 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 of course, there's the family where mom and dad uh, married to each other uh, with the children. But then there's blended families and there's single parent families, sometimes a single mom, sometimes a single dad. And, and even sometimes there's grandparents who are raising their children, aunts and uncles. So, you know, when we talk about this, uh, we're, in, we're, we're encircling all of these types of families, but we really want to put to you today the, the family that the Bible talks about. And, and that, that family is a very, very simple family. I have found this to be true, that simplicity is genius, and that if we'll strive to keep things simple, we'll be more successful in everything that we do, not only the family. We somehow or another in America now have come to a place where we think complicating things means growth or means excellence. But I have found that if I can keep my life simple, it's a lot easier to manage so as we go through this today, we're going to present the family from a biblical viewpoint, from a gospel-centered viewpoint, and, and we need to understand that uh, as, as parents and as children, that we are going to uh, spend more time together as adults than we will as children. In other words, when you launch your child out, it should be around 20, let's just say 20 years of age. If you haven't launched and you're 62 and still living with mama, Probably time to go ahead and get the old suitcase out and get a room somewhere. But you know, um, when, when I think about my children, and I'm not going to say a lot about my children, but up front I will, uh, they're all grown now. They're adults. And the, the way I know they're adults is that they, uh, most of them have a mortgage. 
And uh, <laughs> that's pretty well it, you know. Get a mortgage, get a, get a spouse and a few kids, and you're grown up, <laughs> whether you want to or not. But I've got this little picture right here, and I, I didn't bring it so that you could see it. I just brought it as a prop. Because uh, can anybody see it? No, you can't see it. It's so small. But I didn't want to put it on the board or anything. But this is a picture of my three children in school. Jordan was four years old, and, and that put Rebecca at about seven years old or so, and Carrie at about 11 or so. And there's a school picture taken, and, and, and they're all dressed up. And Jordan's dressed up in a real cool little red and blue checkered wool sports coat with a tie, a bow tie, red bow tie. And, and that day after that picture, when he got home, we didn't realize he was uh, allergic to wool or something. But anyway, he broke out with a rash from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. So that every time I look at that, I think about a rash, but <laughs> in, in Jordan. But I've got this picture. I laminated it, and I've got it up by the kitchen sink, up on a little ledge. And, and, and I guarantee you that five out of seven days a week, if not seven days a week of my life, I look at this picture, and it's a great memory, but it's also, to me, just a trophy of accomplishment that if you'll trust Jesus and if you'll do what is right, we believe that you'll raise godly children and they'll become godly adults. And that's the whole goal of why we exist as parents. So you might want to get a little picture of your children and look at it every day. Because really, I want them back this age. Come on, you parents who have launched your children, you know you wish you had them back with a rash. And uh, it would be good, wouldn't it? We'd love it, you know. God puts such value on children. In Psalm chapter 127, verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage, are a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Now, this is for all parents to realize that these little ones, they are gifts. And uh, we had the privilege this week of taking care of uh, our granddaughter, uh, e, Elin, and uh, for a couple of days. And uh, she is just a wonderful little child. But she will wear you slap out to nothing. I mean, she wore two perfectly fine adult people, <laughs> mowed us down like a bulldozer, you know, just... And when the day was over, she's still jumping. And we are literally laying on the couch begging for a reprieve. <laughs> but she's a gift from the Lord. And you who have children, especially you who are going through the, the young age, you know, the, the, the infant, the toddler, two, three, four-year-old, uh, quit griping about that because God gave you a gift that you asked for. And not only that, you were part of manufacturing so if you're going to blame anybody, blame yourself <laughs> because you've got these little kids there and it's not always fun. I love newborn babies and I love newborn moms and dads because they take pictures of all the babies and, and it's just, you know, the first couple days, let's fade it. All they do is just lay there and eat and sleep. But then there comes that day where they awake and all of a sudden baby's crying and so is mama. And to be honest with you, can I let you know the way I handle that? Literally, I'm, I'm just being honest, and Jan will attest to this. I just laugh about it. I just say, look at them. They're struggling. They hadn't slept in a week. Look at them. And I, said, I said, look, isn't that cute? I just I laugh about it because that's the way it is. So um, I believe the common denominator in, in raising kids is, and being a good parent is 
to have a heart for your children. We have to have a heart. Matter of fact, everything emanates from the heart. Everything issues out of our heart. If, if it doesn't issue out of your heart, it is just uh, following instructions. And we need instructions, but only to pepper our heart to where something good comes from there. So we're raising our kids from our hearts. So I want to get right into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says that children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And that's taken from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, which is one of the 10 commandments that we are to honor our mother and our father. And we are to obey our parents in the Lord. So obey our parents in the Lord is just such a great statement because to obey simply means to listen attentively or it also means to heed or to conform to a command or authority. And then he says, he says, I want you to obey, but I want you to obey in the Lord, which simply means that Paul took it for granted because Paul wrote this book to the church at Ephesus, and evidently he took for granted that kids were following the Lord. I mean, he was the one who was involved in baptizing the Philippian jailer's whole family one night after they were thrown in jail in Philippi, and they were miraculously set free, and people got saved. He baptized the whole family. So, so, so God, is, God is into wanting our entire families to serve the Lord, and he, he expects our children, especially you 9 to 12-year-olds, you, you you, you're at a place now where understanding is taking place, and you're going to serve the Lord, and in that, you're going to obey your parents because they are your authority, it is just the way it is. You know, I don't like the way everything has been put together, not even sometimes the way the Lord put it together. Can I be honest with you? Love your neighbor doesn't sit well with me. How about you? And, and so, so the Lord gives commands and tells us things. And sometimes you know, it's like, I don't want to obey my parents. I want to go to the movies. I want a phone. I've got to have a phone. Everybody else has got a phone. Somebody told me, they said, uh, a seven-year-old told me, said, their classmates have a phone. And, and, and I could already kind of feel that little thing kicking like, well, I want a phone too. The Bible says that this is right to, to obey your parents. It's the right thing to do. I've never seen a, a child lose it because he obeyed his parents. I found them always to be great and successful. But obeying of parents has been and still is under attack. When Paul wrote the book of Romans to the Roman believers there, he listed a bunch of things about reprobate people. I mean, he listed things like slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and right in the middle of that, he put disobedient to parents. And I scratched my head, I wonder, is it that bad? And I think it is. And then he wrote again in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and again, he says, in the latter days, things are going to go kind of weird. And people are going to be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and proud and arrogant and abusive and disobedient to parents. So I think God is really into this thing about being disobedient to parents. I think it's a big deal. And I think God thinks it's a big deal that we do that. But it's because of sin. You see, when sin entered in, it kind of turned everything upside down and inside out. 
And that which was supposed to be so beautiful where mom and dad know each other and have a child and the family grows up together in the Lord and knowing the Lord and loving each other and understanding order and authority and all these things. Sin came in and just turned everything upside down. And now young people struggle to obey their parents. And even sometimes parents struggle to be people who children would want to obey. Things are really turned. That's why we need the cross. That's why we need to sing in the victory. That's why we need to walk in new life. That's why we need to be born again. That's why we need to be translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because things are turned upside down in the kingdom of darkness and in this world. So children, God instructs you. Let me charge you. God instructs you to obey your parents. Proverbs 15, 5 says, only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. I don't know how smart you are, but you can be wise. Children, watch this. Listen to me. Your parents are going to tell you to do things sometimes, and you're not going to understand or want to understand why. They're just going to say, do it. And parents, by the way, when your children are a certain age, a command to just do it is enough. I laugh so much in Walmart because I see mothers trying to talk to that screaming, out-of-control three-year-old who should be taking a nap at 2.05 p.m., but they're in Walmart in the back of a buggy in the meat section. And they're trying to have this intellectual conversation with them about why they should not be crying or it will be all right. And I want to just stand up there on top of the pork chops and just scream out and say, (laughs) they need a nap. (laughs) But then as children grow up, and listen to me, parents, as children grow up and ask the why, you as parents need to have the answer, why? Why can't I go? Why can't I do? Why can't I have? You have to know what's going on, and you have to be able to answer those questions. So God instructs you to obey your parents, but he also instructs you children to honor your mother and father. And honor is something that I believe is being lost. I I do believe we need to regain it in, 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 in big time. But honor means to prize or it means to set a value upon, to set a value upon our parents, to honor them. And for the most part, children are self-centered. We know that. I mean, let's be honest. If you've raised a child, you know as sweet as they are in those little pictures, they are self-centered. They want their way. And they will do anything that it takes. They're very strategic. They would make great military strategists. (laughs) They know how to divide and conquer They do know how to do that, and they're very good at it, but we need to honor our parents. I remember the night I graduated from high school, we were in a 1962 Ford Fairlane, a a little used car that dad had picked up because we'd gone bankrupt three times, and we had just gone bankrupt right at the end of the school year. And I remember that night, I was in the backseat of that car after graduation, and mom reached over, and she gave me a $50 bill. Now, that was a long time ago, 1970. She gave me a $50 bill, and and I just took it, put it in my pocket, and we went out after that, and, you know, that was it. And I mean, I'm sure I said thank you. I mean, any 
Any kid with a heart would thank you for giving me 50 bucks, you know. Now kids want, you know, a vacation in Italy for their graduation. And so I lived and, and uh, I grew up. I got married. I, I had a, uh, some children. I, I, I got saved. I was called to preach. I, I, I took this church northward. And one day I was sitting in a little office in this rear building and all of a sudden I realized something about that $50. Now, grant you, I was 17 when that happened. Now I'm 37. So 20 years it took me to realize the sacrifice that my mother must have gone through to eke out that $50. Where did it come from? From a family that was basically on the street. And, and so I sat down and I wrote a full page letter to my mother and father, honoring them, thanking them, telling them how much I realized the sacrifices that they had made. You see, because this, watch, watch this. When you understand the sacrifice, when you experience the sacrifice, you'll honor. When, when you understand the pressure of a parent, when you experience the pressure of a parent, you will honor. 20 years it took me to truly be thankful and to honor my mother and father for what they had done for me. So young people, I know you struggle with all sorts of things, but if you want your life to go well, if you want your team to win the game on game day, I would suggest that you reach down deep inside of that little soul of yours and that somehow or another you find a place where you realize that mom and dad work hard every day or mom or dad or grandparents to put that roof over your head, to have that nice warm bed you sleep in every night, to take that plate of hot food and put it in front of you and to eat, to shower in that wonderful warm shower every day and that you honor your parents for that at least, which by the way is the most simple things. And then the Bible goes on and says this in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, fathers, and we can say mothers too, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't enrage them, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He said, parents, fathers, especially fathers, because fathers have a tendency to do this because we're macho and we want to raise kids and you got to listen and you got to be strong and all these things. And even though we weren't strong when we were little, we were just little kids going, you know. So how does a parent provoke a child to anger? How, how does, what, what, is, what are some ways that, that, that we, we provoke our children? Let me just give you a list real quick. If you're writing this down or if not, just let it brand on your heart. Number one, and I think above everything, I think we provoke our children with hypocrisy. Now listen up, parents. We can't act one way, say at church, and act another way at home. We can't act one way on the job and then act a different way at home. 
We can't be known in the community as this mild-mannered individual that everybody loves and then at home be a tyrant. We can't be a play actor. We can't be a stage actor. Look, it's better to be not having it all together and being real than faking it and acting like you're perfect. Hypocrites. I mean, and kids, I really believe this. I believe kids really do see through it, but they don't know how to process it. How do you process dad being two different ways? How do you process when dad treats women a certain way, but your mother a totally different way? A child has trouble processing it, and the default of a confused child is usually anger. How else do you process it? I have all these feelings and I don't know what to do with them. And so I'm going to act out at school. And then the daddy, who is the hypocrite, who has caused the anger that has caused me to act out at school, comes get me at school and disciplines me for being something that I don't know what I am. Did you get that? I can't say it again. Did you get it? I think number two is that we're failing to take into account that they're kids. We're correcting outside of their ability to understand. Man, I see this all the time. It is hilarious in the new age thinking of intellectualism that all this talk going on is just hilarious. You know, the kids, you know, looking at you and these, these parents are philosophizing and the kids just, they're digging in their nose. They just they don't have a clue of what's going on. We have to discipline and instruct within the age of where they are. And sometimes it goes like this. Eh. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Stop. No. Move. I've got a neighbor who I think their kid's going to grow up and think their name is No. <laughs> no. No. Stop. No. No. Stop. Number three, comparing them to others, especially siblings. If you've got more than one child, be very careful that you don't provoke one to wrath by showing favoritism. You know, we, we, we champion Joseph in the Old Testament with the coat of many colors, and then he's in a hold, then he's in a prison, you know, and he's everywhere in trouble. And we fail to realize that could it be that Jacob was showing Joseph a little favoritism. He got a coat of many colors. Nobody else got a coat of many colors. And when we show favoritism to one child, we devalue the other child. They're all the same, even if they're not the same. They're all a gift of the Lord, even if they're different. It doesn't matter. They're all yours. No favorites. If you're doing that, call the family together tonight around the table and have a family meeting and set it straight. I think discipline them inconsistently is another reason why uh, children kind of go off. And there's all kind of disciplines today. And, and I know when Pastor Jordan said, we're going to talk about child discipline, everybody perked up and said, aha, finally, we're gonna, you're going to tell us what to do with this little kid. 
but I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I'm going to tell you that there's all kinds of discipline. I mean, there's time out. There's revoking of privileges. They're taking things away. There's corporal correction. There are all these things, different types of discipline for different offenses and for different children who respond in different ways. My oldest daughter, Carrie, uh, all I had to do is look at Carrie. I mean, she's like 41 or 42 right now, and still all I got to do is look at her. Sometimes I just do it just for fun. <laughs> I just blow up in the office there and she's working and I just, I just knock on her door and then I just look at her. <laughs> and you know what she does? She just shrinks. <laughs> and then I just give her the, you know, the daddy thing. But watch this. Uh, and, and, and you who like to punish your children, go to your room for three weeks. You need to go to your room for three weeks, too, because you're going to be in just as much bondage as they are, keeping them in the room. But know this, that any form of discipline without love ultimately will lead to some form of abuse. Get that right. It's all about a heart of love for our children. So those are ways, not all of them, I'm sure, but those are some of the ways that we can provoke our children to wrath. And I want to say this. Oh, can I just finish? I think I have a few more. Yeah, I do. Failing to express approval and our love of them. The data boys. Tell them that they're good. I love you. You did a great job. They did a bad job. Don't tell them they did a great job if they did a bad job. Tell them they did a bad job and then help them do a better job. In other words, communicate with them. How about number six here? Never giving them an, any understanding behind your instructions. Man, just tell When you tell a 17-year-old boy, you can't go, and he says, why? And you say, just listen to me, boy. You got a problem. And number seven, pressuring them to pursue our goals, not their own. In other words, living vicariously through your child. You failed as an individual. You didn't do what you always wanted to do, so now you're going to do that. You always, mom, you always wanted to be a ballet dancer or you always wanted to be this musician, and so now you're pushing that violin on that little girl, and she hates the violin. But you're going to make her play it because you didn't get to play it, and she's going to play it. And, and you know what that's doing? That's sacrificing our children on the altar of our pride. Did you get that? That's a good thing you should quote. Never sacrifice your children on the altar of your pride. Let them be who they are, whatever that is. They want to be a truck driver. That's their goal in life, and they, are, they just can't live unless they are. Help them buy a truck, man. You hear what I'm telling you? Not every kid is going to be a doctor and a lawyer. Amen? And by the way, I think we need trade schools. I'm not running for governor, but I'm just telling you, I think we need trade schools. I think we need trade schools because not every kid's going to college either. And if your kid went to college, don't talk about people's kids who don't go to college and vice versa. Let your kid find their spot, man, and then encourage them and resource them. All right, now, how do we bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Because he says that. 
We're honoring, we're obeying, now we're not provoking, but now we have to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And watch this. Here it is. How can I put this? Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Narrow their path and throttle down their life. That's what the word train means. In other words, get your hands on their life. Become a student of your child. Know your child and help them. And it is very important to get our kids a good education, good schools. It's very important to help our children excel in things like sports and, and the arts. Very important. It's important to help our children launch out as productive citizens of the USA. But it is most important to teach our children the discipline and the instruction of Jesus Christ. It is ultimately the most important thing that any parent can do. And there's a danger for us to entertain our children more than we train our children. As a matter of fact, I can just say that, that we do entertain our children more than we train our children. And to make a disciple of our children, to make a disciple of your child, you must be a disciple first. Because you can't give something you don't have. I never gave my kids $50,000 when they got married because I didn't have $50,000. Matter of fact, after they got married, I didn't have $50. (laughs) Except that $50 that mom gave me on my graduation day, I still had that. You see, parents will lead their children best, watch this, when they love God first. It's so very important that we understand that, that I, I just can't give something I, I, I don't have. But I can always impart something that is living and breathing inside of me that's alive. And, and setting a Christ-centered example for your child is one of the most powerful things that you can do in the process of training. You're their greatest example of Christianity. Now, this is putting a little heat on you because we got the 9 to 12s in here, and they understand what I'm saying. And the church, the church will aid you in discipling your children, as well as teachers and coaches and all these people of influence. But ultimately, the responsibility of raising children is the parent. The parent is the example. The parent is the one. The parent is the steward of the children. But we're not only stewards of our children, we're not owners of our children, we, we, we manage our children. They belong to the Lord. I, I don't have my kids. I'm not, I'm not their boss in the sense of, I'm not their creator. Uh, the, the, when they die, they're not coming to see me. If I go to heaven before my kids, I don't want my kids to bypass Jesus and run and, and hug me and say, Dad, it's good to see you. I didn't die for my kids. Jesus did. I'm just stewarding them for a little while. So how do we set an example about Christianity? What's some practical ways that our kids can see and say, Dad, Mom, they're Christians? Is it because they go to church? I don't think so. Got a lot of non-Christian people in church, just a whole bunch. But I think we can do this. I think, first of all, we can set an example of grace. Here's the component. Extend as much grace to your children as God extends to you. 
I never expect my kids to be better than me. I don't know about you. I have flaws. I make mistakes. I need grace. And so God gives grace. I think we need to set an example by modeling repentance. We need to be able to repent. Repent before God. Repent before our spouse. Repent before our kids. One of the greatest things you will ever do for your kids is ask them to forgive you when you mess up. Man, just call a family meeting and this time say, this family meeting is about me. And I said this, I did that, and I was wrong, and I hurt you, and I am so sorry, and I ask you to forgive me, and then kneel down on your kitchen floor and say, would you put your, head on my, your hand on my head, and would you please pray for me? One of the biggest things you'll ever do. I think we need to set an example by extending forgiveness. Parents, listen. You will have ample opportunity to forgive your children. Because they will disappoint you. I'm sorry to tell you this. Well, maybe I'm not. It's the truth. I know we think when we're raising up the little, hey, they're going to be great one, never going to disappoint me, never going to do anything that, that, that brings shame, never going to, you know, hey, look, get ready, get ready, get ready for an opportunity to get the victory over the fault that you forgive your children for doing. And it's okay. Only prideful people think their kids don't make any mistakes. So you forgive. So I, I believe that, you know, as I finish up here, that, that there's hope for parents. You may have not done it right. Some of you here, your kids are grown, and you're sitting there thinking, man, I did it all wrong and it's a mess. Look, keep believing for your kids. Keep believing that they're going to come to Christ. Look, I was 37 before. I mean, I was, I was uh, 27 before I ever got saved. Some of, some of your children will be 50 years old before they give their heart to Jesus. You're training them up. You're making mistakes. Some of you need to write letters to your kids. And some of you need to, need to write a letter to your parents. But I wanted to share this one thing. I wanted to read you one paragraph out of a book that we're reading about this. You ready? Because this is what I wish I was more like. This is where I have a regret of raising my kids. Give your children Christ-centered instruction. As you walk with them, drive them places, play with them, and have meals with them, talk about Jesus. Talk about his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and his lordship. Have fun and talk about Jesus a lot. We're to lead our children to the truth that is in Jesus, ultimately so that they may submit to the Lord Jesus. He is their highest good. Speak to the hearts of your children as you teach them about Christ. Behavior flows from the hearts. Talk about values, benefits, beliefs, feelings, and motives. Talk about sin, repentance, grace, and the cross. Talk about becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. Talk about the end for which they were created, to glorify God. You will need to have dialogue, not just monologue to do this. Ask them questions. Know what they believe uh, or, or what they doubt. Know their fears. Discern matters of the heart. Speak to their hearts affectionately with lots of encouragement. Celebrate successes and small victories. Warn about the dangers of pride, laziness, and, and, and follow and pray with them regularly. This is what we do with our kids. If I had it to do all over again, I would do more of this. I did some of this, but I would do more, and I would present my Christ as this loving powerful, victorious, wonderful, forgiving, grace-filled individual who will take their life 
make them better, make them righteous, and give them a purpose for living on this earth. That's what I would do if I had it to do all over again. Now let's bow our heads and let's believe the Lord for something great. What we've done today is simply just strike a match to your heart. And I hope that it lights a fire in your heart, children and parents alike, that we'll take our responsibilities as parents more serious, that we'll take our responsibility as children, even though we are children, but yet we will take our place and honor, love, and obey. In order to do that, though, I believe the instructions of the Lord is to give our hearts to the Lord first. And I believe every person in this room right now is able to understand being separated from God. If you feel an emptiness inside of you, if there's not some kind of assurance that God is with you, then you need to go ahead and just surrender yourself to God. You may not understand it all. When I was 27, I didn't understand what it meant to surrender fully to Jesus. I just surrendered the best I knew how. And then he took it and made something great of it. So right now, in this place right now, moms, dads, single adults, children, teenagers, young adults, you're sitting in that chair right now and you don't have the assurance that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and your personal Savior. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you'll pray this along with me from your heart and mean it with all of your heart to the best of your ability, God is listening to you right now and he will answer you and he will change your life from the inside out. Your heart first, the rest in due time. Father, in Jesus' name, you died for us. Jesus came, paid the price, broke the back of sin, turned everything around, gave us new life. And I receive that right now. I receive that Jesus died for my sins and rose again that I might live forever. I give you my heart, Lord, and my whole life. I want to honor you with my life. But I need your grace to do it, and so I'm crying out for grace and help. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now let me pray over you for families. Father, in the name of Jesus, we need so much help, Lord, to steward well the lives of the children that you've given to us as a gift. And I, as a father and as a grandfather, I pray, Lord God, that you pour in much grace and help, that you instruct us and correct us and keep us moving in the right path, that we might be f flaming examples to our children and grandchildren of what it means to be Christian. God, I pray that you'll work with families, dive into families, turn things around, erupt things if necessary, Lord, to get to root causes of any problems within our families. And God, we're going to honor you and thank you for everything that you've done in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.